Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're concluding our great old broad series with an episode on Liza Minnelli that we are calling Pizzazz with Four Zs. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Worked long and hard on that one. Uh, um, Liza Minnelli is a very interesting crossover star in a lot of ways. I mean, she's, she's weirdly so associated, at least in my mind, with her parents and the classic Hollywood studio era. So obviously Judy Garland, very famous you know, singing and film star and um, uh, Vincent Minnelli, very famous director. Um, and yet her own stardom, you know, is very post-studio um, mm-hmm. with her peak year crystallizing, arguably anyway, her star image in 1972 with the film Cabaret and then with the concert for television called Liza with a Z, um, and, uh, both directed by Bob Fosse. Um, and, you know, that's kind of another way of even talking already about like, this kind of crossover that she has right in that same year, though, these two, like, definitive works. Because um, mm-hmm. she's always crossing over in her stardom. You could argue that her, that her film stardom is a kind of smaller part of her stardom. She was a multimedia figure, um, star in films, theater, concerts, recordings, television. She's an EGOT star, Emmy, yep. Grammy, Oscar, Tony. She's a knight of the French Legion of Honor. She's got she a lot is. of awards. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, and, and I will just come out right away to just say she has always kind of confounded me a little. When, <laughs> I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm so, I'm so used to film stars who are just film stars, more or less. Even mm-hmm. though, you know, even in the old days, film stars did a lot of other stuff. They did, you know, they did a ton of radio. They did a ton of other things. But if they were a film star, they were known for being a film star and they often had long careers, et cetera. You know, Liza Minnelli has kind of a truncated film career, which we'll get into it, even though she has some spectacular um, starring role. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more like when I love her, I love her so much. And, <laughs> and so, but sometimes I find her so tiring. <laughs> she's, I, I was, I was trying to explain to friends that I, to me, she's such a strenuous star. Yeah, that's very true. I'm tired. I'm tired (laughs) from watching her, even when she's great. Maybe even especially when she's great. It's it's very tiring, and so that's an interesting quality for I think for a star to have. I mean, do you do you have any of that effect? A a thousand percent. That's I think that's really insightful. Yeah, she exhausts herself. I mean, there's like a beautiful but very masochistic, (laughs) you know, relationship Mm -hmm. to performing that certainly Judy Garland is famous for having. You know, Judy Garland Mm -hmm. would drag herself on stage when she was Mm -hmm. told she had like ten days to live. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. It's it's the same thing with Liza. Uh um, But I think it's just because of the nature of you know whatever Liza has at her disposal for self-expression, which is mm-hmm. different from what her mother has at, at her disposal. And we, we could talk about mm-hmm. that more, but like um, her quality is like super spazzy. <laughs> it's, right. just, it's super spazzy. And it just, mm-hmm. it's beautiful in that she's a thousand percent committed to giving you every ounce of her energy. And mm-hmm. yes, that infuses you in a certain way, but you're also right at the end of the night, you are just like her, an exhausted rag doll. In a, <laughs> right, and you, in a and you can't believe she's doing another encore or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, really? <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, yeah. And spazzy is exactly the word I was trying to think of, like, what are a couple of qualities <laughs> that you can associate? And it's right off the bat, as far as I can tell, with her yeah. star image. And it's like, yes, there's this eccentric, hyper-energetic, there's, she's she's always an oddball. She's always this extreme figure. Even if mm-hmm. she plays someone who's supposedly sort of normal, like yeah. she's she's playing a waitress in Arthur, which, which was a big hit in like what eighty one. Eighty one, yeah. And but she's also trying to be an actress, and she literally Im- comes out in the first scene stealing a tie from a department store and wearing, I swear to God, clown color. She's got an outfit <laughs> that is like bright yellow and bright red combined with this crazy hat and these crazy sunglasses and right away everything about her just screams completely unique completely eccentric completely arresting in some crazy way Mm -hmm. and that 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 they that they that that's part of it from so early on i find amazing 
Yeah, it's true. I, I, it's amazing that her career ever got traction, but I think mm-hmm. I, I think her career is really usefully compared to Barbara Streisand's, who's also part mm-hmm. of her generation, and they're similar in that they both got their start in the theater. They're similar mm-hmm. in that you know they're singers and performers associated with the Great American Songbook. So they're mm-hmm. even though they're baby boomers, they're they sing music at, at least a generation earlier than you know their mm-hmm. time. And um, I think the kookiness, you know, the '60s mm-hmm. allow for uh, right. There's like a little bit more of a opening up of like female types. And so, you know, you got Streisand by the time Mm -hmm. that um, Liza's on the scene and even people like Mia Farrow, you know, little Mm -hmm. oddball mod creatures. Um, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, Liza could be you could place her on that spectrum with her. Very. It's almost impossible unless you do things to her, which they do in New York, New York, to put her back in the 40s, say, in the she's going to wind up playing a 40s star, but they're going to have to make her up to look. You know, they're going to have to do things yeah. <laughs> um, to make her seem like, yes, that could happen. Because, I mean, obviously she's so talented. Some part of you thinks she she could have made it some way. Right. And she's so ambitious that you're thinking she would have made it some way. Totally. But but she doesn't, she, the, she's perfect for the look of new of new Hollywood and exactly what you're describing. 60s, early 70s is perfect for her. Yeah, but like you know, also we talked about this with the Streisand and Jane Fonda um, episode. She's also a victim of those seventies. You know, mm. once you get into the seventies, it's so right. like unforgivingly masculine for the most mm. part. I mean, mm-hmm. so Liza does Cabaret in nineteen seventy two. She's twenty six years old. She wins an Oscar, and mm. like she never gets another good role. <laughs> like maybe once right. in in New York, New York at the end of the seventies, mm. a Martin Scorsese film, mm-hmm. which we'll get to. So her, she's got like two or three bright spots in her film career mm-hmm. and then she spends really the rest of her time on the stage and i think like right. in a way this saves her <laughs> from being in all of the schlock that like barbara streisand is in you know right. because there are no options even for like interesting women like 70s 80s 90s it's you know it's a horrible bleak era <laughs> mm-hmm. so but anyway yeah, should we... ju- you yeah well yeah. let me just say you've jumped right to what i was going to say which is like you know is she even a film star because she has ah. such an abbreviated career but in the abbreviated period she does some great things even the lead up to cabaret which we'll get to the couple of you know you know very young roles yeah she's so interesting already that it somehow it seems to qualify for her to to consider her as a film star of course she's just a showbiz icon figure right but but it's a it's it, it is hard for that very reason she just ba- kind of bails out or gets bailed out on or whatever combination of circumstances yeah and just doesn't do a lot of film yeah um but you're right it, it's a mercy in a yes. lot of ways yes exactly <laughs> exactly so yeah it's so confusing you're so right because if you you know if you thought of great um women roles of the 70s mm. like it's you know Sally Bowles would make every list it's one of those mm. ca- that's her character in cabaret it's one of those characters mm-hmm. like Scarlett O'Hara like right. it, you know will forever be associated with her and it's one of the greatest screen performances of all time but mm-hmm. yeah is that an I, I I think it's enough to make her a movie star but you're right I think so. <laughs> it's, just yeah. because it has it's even now I watched it again of course and I was just like it, it's she's so perfect it's a little it's a little scary she's, yeah she's just it's, she's so good, it sears into your brain. And then the movie is great. Fosse just completely oh. knocks it out of the park. I mean, yeah. and the, the, the opening number alone. And Joel oh. Grey. The opening number, I'm, ne- I'm never tired of looking at it. It's that good. <laughs> the choreography is so exquisite. And it actually, it does something that mostly American films can't do, which is convey decadence. Yes, that is so true. Without seeming to try so hard that you slip right out into naivete again because you don't know how to convey decadence. Right. Fosse knows how to convey decadence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh my God. The look of the women, the choreography, it's just mwah. Yeah. So anyway. That I'm was, sure we'll boy was raised in a burlesque house. <laughs> exactly. He knows from decadence. Yeah, so yeah. He, he's the one to do it. Yeah. So anyway, still an exciting, tremendously exciting movie. And I'm sure we'll get back to it in greater detail. But yeah, yeah. let's go back and just do roots. Let's locate oh. her. Okay. Yeah. So. Born March 12th, 1946, Los Angeles, <laughs> California. <laughs> her, her, her mother's Judy Garland, who's 23 when she has her, mm-hmm. almost 24, um, married to her second husband, Vincent Minnelli, um, mm-hmm. very important MGM director. They met on the set of Meet Me in St. Louis. And, and you know, Garland was really indebted to Minnelli. Minnelli was the director of Meet Me in St. Louis. It was his mm-hmm. first, like, really big film. He did Cabin in the Sky before 
before then. But um, mm-hmm. Mimi in St. Louis was really important for Garland's career. It um, mm-hmm. it was like presented a more glamorous, grown up version of her to the world. She felt mm-hmm. that he made her very beautiful. And then they really fell in love when they made their next picture together, which is a gem of a film called The Clock in 1944 and they filmed some of it on location in New York not uh, actually that's inaccurate sorry they sent Judy and Vincent to New York um to you know get the flavor of of the city and then they they actually shot the film um in Culver City (laughs) which is amazing because it feels so much like New York but Vincent Minnelli um uh, new New York. It's the world that he came from. And he was able to sort of like show Judy his very sophisticated New York milieu. He was friends with the Gershwins and Harold Arlen and, you know, Dorothy Parker and Oscar Levant. And she was kind of starved for sophistication and, you know, um, in art <laughs> being a mm-hmm. growing up in Hollywood, basically. And so he kind of showed her the world. Um, they had a, she must, it, Vincent was like, I don't know how I would describe his sexuality. I mean, he definitely has sex with women and men, right? And she knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, some, uh, unfortunately, our only source for how Judy Garland felt about this is like Judy Garland, <laughs> and she <laughs> she will tell the story about you know discovering him with men as either like I either play it for laughs or <laughs> or um, talk about it as something painful. I don't mm-hmm. know. You know, some people suggest that they had a fairly open marriage. Like mm-hmm. Judy certainly had a lot of affairs. Um, some will suggest actually certain bios suggest that she didn't know, even though and the all of her friends were saying. Judy, open your eyes, and she would deny it and say he's just artistic. Yeah, that seems hard to believe for someone who's been in show business for for her whole life. To me, it, it always was like, really? Could she have possibly maintained that level of naivete to twenty three? It seems unlikely. But I, I don't like, know. I don't know. I don't it, know. It's very confusing because so so Vincent's an, like an interesting character he's mm. um so Liza's you know from showbiz people on both sides mm-hmm. Judy Garland of course is born Francis Ethel Gum to two vaudevillian parents mm-hmm. and um Judy's father was also at least bisexual maybe maybe just mostly homosexual and he um he was disgraced uh he was a a, fo- a high school coach at some point and he got mm-hmm. mixed up with a, a male student and mm-hmm. so he was he got fired from more than one job for because of his um you know hooking up with the students and um i don't know how much judy knew about that like who knows i mean Mm -hmm. uh, but she had a gay father so maybe you know one can play amateur to this day lorda luff denies it all claims there's no truth to any of it (laughs) what that her grandfather isn't isn't gay absolutely argues it's none of it's true yeah. Oh God, no! Oh, they... You gotta read the to read the Lord and the Luft thing is to feel dizzy. Like the story she God. like wow, I that's d- revisionism because they've got so many accounts of, of that that it seems hard to argue. Yeah, I mean, like and, many and factual yeah. accounts. Many. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. seems like there's many, but so yeah. anyway, just just so you know, it's weird. Oh damn! Um, well, we'll talk about so Lorna's Liza's half sister, Judy's other daughter. Yeah. We'll talk about yeah. her. Yes, we'll get to her. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but it is, it, you know, it does seem important to note that, you know, conceived in Hollywood terms. I mean, the, the whole romance of Manelli and Garland is like on set through film. It's also going back to New York where he was you know, yep. the, a leading light in theater as, you know, an incredibly pioneering what art, art decorator, production designer figure. Yeah. Um, so the, it just soaked in, imbued in showbiz it, it, for multiple generations so and that's really going to define how one way that anyway that that Liza Minnelli seems show busy to the point that it's, <laughs> it, it makes you dizzy you know? yeah exactly exactly she yeah she's like the you know the purest legacy on all sides mm. so she's vaudeville on her mother's side and she's uh, the Minnellis were the Italian Minnellis immigrants were, who are right. the, yeah they were in the circus and they produce mm-hmm. like cheap melodramas. Vincent's mother was a sort of melodrama actress. And um, yeah, so, but he is, he's totally self-taught. He, you know, they were, they were definitely like show people, but he was interested in high art. Um, Whistler mm-hmm. was his, um, <laughs> his great sort of um, like the, the figure who influenced him the most. Mm-hmm. He didn't know Whistler, the painter, but he read about him mm-hmm. and patterned himself after him. And he, he found out everything he could about 
French painting and literature. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so he taught himself everything. He was from Chicago. He got to start doing the shop windows at Marshall Fields. <laughs> right, right. And then and then he moved to New York. And yes, and he was a production director and a designer for um, sort of uh, these prologue shows, these beautiful stage shows that would open up um, before um, they sh before film screenings in some of the nicer theaters. Mm -hmm. And um, anyways, yes. Uh, so he they ran with the you know the sophisticated crowd, and so yeah. So not only is there the the film legacy, but there's you know the deeper showbiz legacy on both sides for generations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's, Liza Minnelli has sometimes done elaborate tributes to her father because, of course, everyone obsesses over the Judy Garland-Liza Minnelli connection. Right. But she always is trying to remind people of Vincent Minnelli's this huge influence on her. You know, just one example is she credits him with when she's going to play the role in Cabaret and she doesn't even know, how do I, how do I look like someone who's a wannabe star in, you know, Weimar, Germany. Am I imitating Marlena Dietrich? What am I doing? And and he's like, no, you need to study Louise Brooks. You need to, <laughs> how she looks, everything about her. Louise Brooks is the key. So he's the one that she can go to, mm -hmm. to give her this kind of um, performance insight at key points in her career. Yeah. And yeah. And the word on the street is he helped style her for cabaret. He mm -hmm. helped her with her wig and her makeup. So and he was an absolutely doting father. I mean, so Judy and Vincent had a troubled marriage. Judy was already pretty troubled as a human being by her early 20s. As most people know, she'd been on drugs since she was a teenager that the studio and her mother's dished out to her to help her help her perform and then help mm -hmm. her go to sleep. And um, she'd had a lot of tragedy in her life. And so, yeah. And, and she looked I think she looked to Vincent to be her protector um, mm -hmm. from the studio and its exploitations. But he he really w did not have the per type of personality that would stand up to the to MGM, which was their mutual studio. Mm -hmm. And I think she felt let down by him. But also, you know, she was pretty like off her rocker already and difficult, mm -hmm. I think impossible for, you know, anyone to live with. And, right. and he's like, it's, it's a little cruel in that he was the, the perfect studio director. He loved being a studio director. You know, a lot of directors had a hard time. Yes. Vincent Minnelli seemed to be like, God, it's like bathwater. It's <laughs> the perfect temperature for me. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's always a little heartbreaking that she thought he was going to be the one to stand up and fight the studio. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then so but they both adored Liza and mm -hmm. Judy, who, you know, had been on drugs for like a decade, uh, went off the pills for her pregnancy in a very, you know, kind of amazing gesture that I don't think held for the other children. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I think all the other kids had kind of like troubled, you know, early health problems because of the drugs. Mm -hmm. But so they and they doted on Liza, you mm -hmm. know, and, and everyone who's anyone in Hollywood of that time, like uh, Elizabeth Taylor, you know, who worked with Minnelli on Father of the Bride mm -hmm. and Lucille Ball, who worked with Minnelli on The Long, Long Trailer. Um, they all like everyone who was around the studio during that era has, you know, wonderful memories of little Liza Minnelli, who would always come mm -hmm. to the set <laughs> And accompany her parents, and um, mm -hmm. you know, I and think didn't didn't he have knockoff costumes made of yes. all the major <laughs> lovely costumes for her, little but tiny sized ones for her, yeah. little mini Irene Sheriff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, so from like, he would make an American in Paris, and Liza would have little scaled down costumes of you know mm -hmm. Leslie Caron's outfit. Leslie <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. so. so in other words, doted on in that way, like very much so, real princess, a real a real Hollywood princess, even before. She decides to be performing. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, Vincent always tried to make up for the fact that, so I think when Judy and Vincent split, Liza was four or five and uh, Judy went to England for several months and, you know, Liza didn't see her mother for months at a time, which you can imagine for a five-year-old is pretty mm -hmm. awful. Um, so Vincent always kind of tried to make up for that, you know, by spoiling mm -hmm. her silly. But um, I mean, I guess skipping forward, you know, mm -hmm. Liza's adolescence is, uh, it's odd. It's very Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Her mother's performing all over the world. Um, zero stability on that front. But she, she spends a lot of time with her mother. She, you know, she watches her perform at Carnegie Hall. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like she spends like a good 50% of her time um, in her mother's mm -hmm. milieu. And mm -hmm. she, she ends up having a step, uh, step, not sorry, a half sister, Lorna Luft, and mm -hmm. a stepbrother, Joey Luft. And I mean, the heartbreaking thing is like, 
it, Liza seemed to have a lot of responsibility in that household because obviously mm-hmm. Judy's kind of a mess and Liza's taking care of any everything. And it breaks my heart because she seems so competent as a young person and so mm-hmm. centered, you know, mm-hmm. and for so much of her young life, even even through her 20s, her, her mother dies in 1969 when Liza herself is 23. It was unexpected. You know, um, people thought Judy would just carry on, you know doing drug you know being a drug addict but still making it somehow how insane even she said it's crazy but i just can't die because she yeah. always she, for the last few years she looked like she was going to die and yet yeah it's true she was only 47 years old yeah and mm. and and she just you know she'd been at death's door so often so- it's just like everyone just thought it would carry on like that but <laughs> yeah but, you know, as a young woman, Liza got the funeral together, you know, she went and she went around the world playing gigs and paying off Judy's old hotel debts. Mm-hmm. You know, she was very like competent and level headed and mm-hmm. seemingly not crazy as a young person. And it mm-hmm. kills me that it obviously caught up with her. And, you know, later right. in her life, right. she's known as. Right. She had her, developed her own addictions, but it's like, oh, right. she see, she was like the with it sister. And she's she never she has her own code, which is like really admirable. I think she will never gossip about anyone famous, not her family, not her friends. Like she mm-hmm. has a and I don't know any other famous person. Everyone seems to talk, you know, to yeah. Oprah or Donahue <laughs> or whatever. And she will not do it. She's like, I didn't like it when they did it to my mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't like it when they do mm-hmm. it to me. But anyway, um, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, I think part of, weirdly enough, I think showbiz helps her in that she seems to know very early what she wants to do. Yeah. She seems to, to go immediately into, I want to be a dancer. I want to be a performer. I, I, I know it. So she doesn't have a lot of like push pull with, the, with what she's going to do with her life. She's been guesting on like her mother's, I don't know, TV, TV shows and stuff. <laughs> show and yeah yeah and takes to it like a duck to water and you know so so at least she doesn't have any strife in aiming for for the goal yeah absolutely and her so I think she was about 16 when she decided to pursue acting she never really wanted to be a movie star or at least she didn't voice that ambition she -hmm. wanted to be on the stage she saw Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway and she knew that's what she wanted to do so her mother gave her her blessing. She said, as long as, but you're going to make it on your own. I'm not going to give mm-hmm. you anything. And mm-hmm. Vincent, Vincent more or less did the same. And it's weird. I mean, these Vincent always had like a nice house, et cetera, but these people really didn't have money. I mean, certainly Judy didn't by the time she mm-hmm. had no contract with MGM, but they did not live very lavishly. Um, uh, so it, you know, I think Vincent gave her a little money to start out with. But then by the time she was, I think, 17, um, you know, she was just living the life of a Broadway gypsy and she spent a couple nights homeless. You know, she didn't have there were times when she really had had nothing and she definitely could not turn to her parents. Um, I mean, Judy didn't have it to begin with. And <laughs> and I, I think Vincent said, like, you're on your own. Um, and, and so, you know, it opens doors having her name. But as she says, you're you can't you're, they're not going to invite you to stay unless you have something to offer. So mm-hmm. her real breakthrough was a, a Broadway show called Flora the Red Menace about <laughs> about mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, the Red Scare. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and she plays this little uh, like worker who gets roped into a, a sort of like, um, you know, communist union organizing. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. but she's wonderful. And she's still I think she might still be the youngest actress ever to win a Tony Award. She was 19 when she won mm-hmm. the best actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's right out the gate. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And and so at this time she uh, the next year she marries Peter Allen, the guy who the boy from Oz is about. And uh Peter's like so very flamboyantly gay and <laughs> yes. and that really was a case where Liza Minnelli swore she didn't know and all oh, her friends knew God. and she didn't know and you're like it's like a family legacy if so. I mean, really? It really yeah. is. Yeah. And didn't Judy, wasn't she great friends and encouraged them Judy, to get together? Judy played matchmaker. <laughs> she was the matchmaker. Are you just like, your head swims. I mean, what? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and she and Liza Minnelli came home and caught him. Yeah. Caught him ex- the man. Exactly. Wow. As Judy, as had happened to Judy with Vincent. So yes. it really, it was traumatic. And again, depending on who's telling the story, it's either, you know, funny to them or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a source of like great 
sort of hurt. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. God damn it, poor Liza. So, <laughs> but she really loved mm. Peter, you know, and they stayed friends till the till the end of their lives. Uh, his life, he died of AIDS in the in the eighties, I think. Mm-hmm. That was a huge loss for her. And um, yeah, but it, but you know, so then then she goes on to take these couple of kooky film roles, right? And her her first film is Charlie Bubbles with Albert Finney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in what nineteen sixty? Well, she makes her cameo. Don't forget in the good old summertime. Oh yes, <laughs> tell us yes. about her debut, Eileen. In nineteen forty nine. She's, it comes in at the very end. They need a child for her and Van Johnson. That the it's a it's a remake of the shop around the corner. Um, and she's yeah, she's the little the little pot being being held by her mother. And this little bit at the end, she may, is very mocking of her first film role. If you ever watched <laughs> That's Entertainment, which is all about MGM musicals, she she does a sec a segment of it is narrated by her. And as she puts it, what charm, what personality? Because you know, as a kid, she's not responding to the camera. She's just <laughs> right. like what abs? Yeah. <laughs> so it's very f- cute and funny. But yeah, so you know, she's already had been so intertwined with showbiz again. It's it's remarkable but yeah so so then charlie bubbles continue sorry i interrupted you. oh no i mean yeah i i don't have much to say about charlie bubbles it's mm. it's one of those really depressing late 60s movies albert God. finney's in it i think he just is depressed the whole movie i forget <laughs> like i hate i can't even watch this fucking thing it's so yeah, i've never awful. seen it either I oh God. It. Yeah. I went right on to sterile cuckoo so yeah uh, okay good so tell us what you think about this is probably like her breakthrough film role she was yeah. nominated for an academy nominated award for, for her Oscar. performance yeah, yeah. And she's, you thank God every minute she's in that movie. Let me just tell you right now. <laughs> because the poor leading man, and I don't know if he ever does anything else. I'm forgetting his name. Oh, even fucking Wendell, Wendell Burton. Yeah. He's terrible. And he just, yeah, he's just not up to whatever the job was. It's a little unclear. It's all, he's just a, one of those kooky romances, but with a very dark underside mm-hmm. of, you know, she of course plays the ultimate spazzy kook eccentric girl. And of course, troubled underneath. And she winds up very forcibly befriending him. And then he winds up sort of falling for her. And it it doesn't end and well. It mm-hmm. ends on the trouble very much on the troubled side. It's a very sick late, very late sick, incredibly late sick. And the song Come Saturday Morning plays oh, nine thousand times. <laughs> oh, I hate it so much. And they play it over and over and over and over. And it's one of those winsome winsome wistful things that, that yeah. came out in this era. It's awful. So every time, well, unfortunately, she's carrying the whole film on her shoulders. You just thank Christ because as manic as she is and exhausting, but she's supposed to be. It's the character. Mm-hmm. The character is very emotionally troubled, but copes with you know her misfit status. She can't make friends. Her father's not in her life. Her mother died at birth. She is making up with this kind of manic high spirits. Um, but it's a fascinating and great performance and she just, and her quiet moments are therefore devastating because that means she's really in the depths and mm-hmm. she has some wonderful scenes in, late in the film where she's really falling apart and she, but she's doing it very quietly and intensely. So it's, it's a most impressive thing. And believe me, she's the best thing in it by far. Yeah. There's a, there's a particularly memorable scene where she's on the telephone mm-hmm. and, um, this boy that she's, you know, involved yeah. with is like, you can tell almost trying to break up with her, but it's oh, an yeah. absolute, it's a tour de force. It's, it's a one take and it's, mm-hmm. it's over five minutes long. And she mm-hmm. has, you know, just like a huge emotional arc and she is devastating. It is like, to me, just like so emotionally raw mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. nuanced and like subtle and brilliant and i like no wonder she got the oscar nod because god damn oh absolutely and, <laughs> yeah. and just so you know if you maybe you're not aware five minutes doesn't sound long oh you don't give anyone who can't handle like a, essentially a monologue you would never give them five minutes in film five minutes is an eternity i mean exactly. you give that to them the greatest performers so just an example if you ever see unlikely um a michael <laughs> powell emmerich pressburger film um called the life and death of colonel blimp they give a very somber key monologue to the great Anton Walbrook and Michael Powell goes on record saying, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have given anyone. I think it's a five minute. Also, I would never have given that to anyone who couldn't just, you couldn't just nail the camera on them and let them act and ruin everyone. It's a, it's considered a huge challenge. You have to be great. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she's, she's, she's so young and just starting and she gets that. That's remarkable. 
Yeah, it's and that's like thanks for bringing that up. That's a through line mm. with her career. Like as late as I was, I was marveling at Stepping Out, which is probably like her last starring vehicle. It's from mm-hmm. 1991, and it, this this crazy film is it's filled with a lot of Broadway people like Bill Irwin and Jane Krakowski, um, and she plays a dance teacher, and it's a totally unremarkable like early 90s musical, but it has one of these moments. She's got this uh, almost five minute long dance solo and in the era of like Boz Lerman editing oh I know <laughs> you know where everyone only has like a, a one second and a half to before it to make cuts. an impression before it cuts she right. d- she does this thing I think there are only three cuts in this number and it's just sheer virtuosity I mean since when is the last time you saw someone dance on screen for five minutes it was probably mm-hmm. Gene Kelly before it was fucking Liza Minnelli <laughs> right. you know like right. no one does that because they don't put people who can sing or dance in movies anymore and mm-hmm. and so just to you know so that is definitely like a hallmark of Eliza film and probably a test to like her inherent theatricality you know like she has the the chops to do everything live so you just let the camera roll <laughs> well, that's exactly it and then that's another of the exhausting things if you're not used to watching like concerts for television like Liza with a Z you can't believe how tiring it is to watch someone do the do the whole thing yeah, you do the whole damn thing, and it's some exhausting fucking routine, and you're just like, "Geez, that's right." People do do the whole thing. Now you'd never know. That's one of my big complaints. One of my many of all. I hate contemporary musicals. Ugh. In the height, one of the most awful things about a truly awful movie, In the Heights, is the cutting, the endless cutting. You don't even. Presumably, they hire dancers. You'd never know. Because right. they're never allowed to complete a movement. So you're like, I don't know. Can you dance? Can you not? Eh, well, never yeah. know. Editing being what it is now. So it's really a shocking thing to watch somebody who's the old time trooper who can just perform and and she'll be just dripping sweat. And yes. she's singing while she's dancing. Yep. It's just crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> How? So yeah, it's very, very impressive. Yeah. She, she, I mean, oh God. All right. Well, this is what characterizes her is like this dogged oh, mm. belief in the in the sort of like beauty of showbiz like she is so invested mm-hmm. she will kill herself in front of your eyes for a good performance <laughs> so yeah anyway yes. but it's, she just, it's exactly like that yeah Oh, but, but go ahead. Did, well, did, hey, did you see her next? So speaking of, so after the Sterile Cuckoo, she did Tell mm. Me That that You Love Me, Junie Moon. Did you see that? And I saw that on TV when I was growing up, and I didn't want to repeat this. It's <laughs> really a downer, as I recall. It's, it's really so sad. She, yeah. gets, she gets doused uh, with acid. Acid. <laughs> and I still remember. Yeah. That's the main footage I remember. Yeah, it's really horrible. It's directed by Otto Preminger, so it's not total mm-hmm. shite, but it's, mm-hmm. as Eileen says, like, you will probably never want to watch it again. <laughs> It's really yeah. depressing and dark, really yeah, but yeah, she's yeah. really pretty in it. And, and like, I think it's like the most like pretty girl alluring role she gets to have. They give her long hair. She's wearing this long mm-hmm. wig. Um, mm-hmm. She's actually nude in the scene right before she gets uh, doused mm-hmm. with the acid. I mean, in shadow, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. she usually doesn't play that sort of role, you know, mm-hmm. like conventional mm-hmm. love interest thing. Um, right. Right. But yeah, we can't yeah. say it's worth your time. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> if you really want to be, you know, complete about your viewing. <laughs> exactly. You because exactly. next up is Cabaret, and that one, if you haven't seen it, why not? It's really one of the landmark yeah. films. It's certainly a landmark musical. You cannot not see it because it's bringing the musical form forward to such an extent it can really handle, you know, yeah, the, <laughs> the rise of the, of, <laughs> of the Nazis and, and that kind of material in a really stark and wonderful way. So, yeah, you got to watch it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you if you haven't seen Cabaret, you know, spoiler, not a musical about Nazi, <laughs> Nazi, uh, Nazi Germany. Germany. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, yeah, yeah. and it it's uh so it's directed by Bob Fosse. Um uh it's probably like I don't know, I would say it's the film that best exemplifies his unique style of both mm-hmm. directing and choreography. Mm-hmm. Um he oh it, it's filmed in berlin which is probably why you say eileen that it it mm. communicates that decadence that's so hard to communicate in american film probably because it's filmed on location yeah that probably helped <laughs> yeah yeah, mm. yeah. and and mm-hmm. she plays an american she's spo- mm-hmm. the only thing that doesn't fit about the role is that she's supposed to be a not very good cabaret singer which is um, ludicrous you're yeah. just going she's a star man <laughs> wow yeah. yeah 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 so every time someone says hey you're really good you're sitting there going damn straight (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a weird situation that she's still in that little lowly divey cabaret, but okay. Yeah, you just right. have to go with it. Yeah. And, and, and she again, just gets showcase number after showcase number. I mean, mine hair with 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 the whole, you know, legs over the over the back of the chair kind of Dietrichy, incredibly with the bowler hat poses. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so iconic that you even if you haven't seen the film, you might almost feel like you recognize them because they've been they've been taken off in, in fashion shoots. You've seen them referenced so much. Right. And she she's never going to look so wonderful and so right. The hair oh. is perfect. The clothes are perfect. The choreography, everything is, her body is perfect. Everything about her is perfect. Her face is perfect. And her performance is perfect. She's, she's got the performance. Again, that kind of manic quality, troubled, uh, somewhat troubled underneath. Once again, she's got an, you know, a kind of absentee father mm-hmm. and desperate to make it in showbiz, but really feels like for all that superficial confidence um, that she assails the Michael, the Michael York character with, he's this, He's this young man showing up to Berlin for the first time, and she winds up immediately glomming onto him. And actually, <laughs> if you've already seen um, Sterile Cuckoo, it's shocking how many things you're like, oh, yeah, same scene. If there's a similar scene here again, so uh, that's another strange thing is how fast a star image coalesces around her in terms of material. That's mm-hmm. very odd. Without the studios there to like tailor it all, mm-hmm. it just seems to be happening through some sort of weird chemical reaction around her. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I, so another, you know, if if you haven't seen Cabaret, another notable thing is, mm. as Eileen says, is the is the set design and the um and the costume mm-hmm. design and the look of the thing. It's like one of the most beautiful films mm-hmm. that I could possibly think of. And mm-hmm. it's uh, it ages well or I don't know how to say this. Um, it Even people who are uncomfortable with Liza Minnelli's style of performance, which is very mm-hmm. straightforward and sincere, are able to take cabaret because cabaret is very ironic and dark and almost mm-hmm. Brechtian. Mm-hmm. Um, not totally Brechtian, you know, but but definitely influenced by Brecht. And it's it works. It's very um, uh, almost postmodern mm-hmm. in its in its approach. And the musical numbers all take place on stage. So there's no spontaneous singing and dancing, which people have a hard time with these days. Um, mm-hmm. So you likely will feel fairly comfortable with cabaret and <laughs> and its structure. It's not going to embarrass you. And even the things mm-hmm. that are embarrassing about Liza make so much sense for the character and the context that you'll be yeah, okay. It's all, in this case, it's all <laughs> narratively motivated. So in other words, it's there's no there's not a feeling that her excess is becoming emotionally painful for you because it's all it's all so right for the character exactly it, it was like it was written for her you just can't imagine someone else doing it yeah it's and it, it it wasn't just for the record um mm, no. you know it's a it's a broadway show by candor and ab who who did become her her creative partner she became mm-hmm. their muse the songwriting team they're the people who also wrote chicago um oh jesus christ so many things uh the act um the hell else did Kendra and Ebright? Oh, shoot, um, I'm gonna forget because they always just say cabaret in Chicago because those were those two, they're two monster hits. But um, they it's so many good things. So they're they're the mm. to me like Broadway ends with Kendra and Eb. <laughs> everything else <laughs> after that is like Andrew Lloyd Webber and fucking Les Mis, you know. Oh, so God. everything yeah. gets so bleak after Kendra and Eb. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, Liza did not play Sally Bowles on stage, and the stage no, Julie play, Harris. Yes, exactly. It, which is just like wowzers. Can't even her, so, okay. weird. <laughs> so weird <laughs> but but liza started singing this the title song in concert mm-hmm. and and anyway mm-hmm. got the film role and it you know it's forever after identified with her and the film is to watch today especially like during and right after the trump era utterly chilling there are yeah. so many parallels there are moments where you know, the characters are sitting in the in a beer garden and these healthy, patriotic Germans break out into a, a lovely, patriotic yeah. song. And, <laughs> and then, you you know, the camera sort of pans down and the mm-hmm. the the person leading the song is a Hitler youth. Hitler you know, tomorrow <laughs> like, belongs to me. Is, yeah, oh. not what you want to hear coming out of everybody led no. by this character. Yes, that's the only offstage performance, actually. And it's very chilling. And, you know, the whole structure of the thing is wonderful. It's simple, but wonderful. The, the cabaret is a microcosm of German society. And in the beginning, they're, they're literally throwing out a Nazi. And by the end, the whole place is full. The whole audience is full of Nazis in uniform. So we were going to track the takeover of the Nazis with 
the horrifying implications for anyone who's not getting out of Berlin immediately, mm-hmm. based on Christopher Isherwood's own account, himself, his friends, you know, you know, people who are who are in Berlin who were very, very young and creative, and you know, some of them got out and most didn't. Um, yeah. So that you know, that's the sort that's the original source material for the whole for all of these for these adaptations. Yeah. Um, so it again, really intense subject matter, but just just beautifully imaginatively handled. And you know, Joel Gray's kind of devil doll impresario oh, um, uh, performance cannot be matched. It's it's equal to Manelli, how great Manelli is. It's really a staggering film. Yeah, everyone is perfectly cast. And mm. I would say this film is the best example of, if Liza has any, you know, Liza herself is a political, you know, as, as much as in terms of whatever causes or whatever. I mean, mm. obviously she was very involved in AIDS because she's mm. a theater person and a gay icon. Um, and all, many of her closest people in her life were, you know, gay and dying of mm. AIDS. But um in terms of her political meaning as a star, it's hard to track her, but I think, you know, Cabaret is the the, the nut of it, which is that there's something about her, it, it, the, the moral lesson of Cabaret, if there is one, is that decadence, a certain kind of decadence, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, investment in all that glitters will lead mm-hmm. you to fascism. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that seems to be a recurring theme of even, you know, a way that you could read her life. Like, of course it's it's not straightforward and i do not mean to judge her like please god strike me dead because like <laughs> i oh my god i don't i i love her and i respect her for uh, her drive <laughs> you know and mm-hmm. like uh like n- none of us believe in anything as much as liza believes in show business but anyway mm-hmm. there there is something about her that like uh, wants to not see you know she's not about like consciousness of um she has no political consciousness. She's very invested in all that glitters. And she thinks that her, something she famously said is that reality is something you can rise above. <laughs> right. right, right. Um, which I love her for on one hand, of course, you know, but there's something about Liza that the devil keeps getting her, you know, in her mm. life, in her films. She's she always wholeheartedly believes that, like, tomorrow is another day. And there's, you know, it, like indefatigable, like optimism mm. about her. But she's always looking for the wrong things, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. part of the character of Sally Bowles. And that's part of the story of Berlin, you know, in, in Cabaret. Right. Um, right. It's just the goals are wrong. <laughs> you know? yeah. But I, yeah. I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's like a, it's like an overinvestment in all that glitters, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which makes for. Great stardom, but <laughs> you're right. It's going to be a rough life, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, again, how shocking that even in early film roles, there's the the all the, all the scintillating surface, and the underneath is always a dark undertow of emotional trauma. Yeah, I mean that just seems to be the the thing she does over and over um, in her films. Uh, I shouldn't say over and over actually, because the follow up to Cabaret is Lucky Lady and a, a series of films where you're like, holy shit, if you were trying to kill this stardom, you couldn't be doing a better job. Oh, what man. What happened anyway? Da, 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 da. Lucky Lady's <laughs> got some snappy tunes, man. Uh-huh. Um, Kendra and Ebb score. It's a musical with, wait for it, Burt Reynolds and Gene Hackman. Yeah. Um, she's got this like hideous blonde wig on. It's directed mm-hmm. by Stanley Donan, <laughs> like, who gave yeah. you Singing in the Rain and like uh-huh. On the Town. Um, but it's not the fifties, it's the seventies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's horrendous. It's a horrendous film. I, mm-hmm. I kind of enjoy it just cause I can't help myself. Um, she sings, that's fun, you know, but it's the songs don't spontaneously occur again. She has the alibi of being a performer. It takes place mm-hmm. during like the twenties or thirties or some shit. They're like drug running or something. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know what to say about it. It's really bad. I don't know how anyone thought it would succeed, but it's got the same <laughs> feel as uh, Funny Lady. I think they mm. even came out in the same year. Shit, mm. I think they did. And I oh, think early seventy five. Yeah, oh. and Kandareb Kandareb also wrote the score the score for Funny Lady. <laughs> oh, so total crossover. Oh my god. Okay. Total yeah, Funny cross- ladies. We've talked about it in an earlier episode. Totally painful. Just painful. Like going oh. in every way. Oh damn. Yikes. Wow. And and this is what happens to these girls. I don't know what happened in the 70s. Like, you just could not be a strong female star. <laughs> like, the movie was mm-hmm. just going to be bad. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
And then a matter of time, you've talked about this before. I forget what episode we were doing where you, where you, you've seen it. I still haven't seen it. I've seen clips. Oh, this um, movie's difficult to get. It's yeah. it's Vincent Minnelli's last film made in 1976 mm-hmm. with Ingrid Bergman and Liza mm-hmm. Minnelli. Ingrid Bergman plays this countess and Liza's a maid, sure, whatever, who Ingrid Bergman <laughs> like makes over, um, right. you know. Oh, it's, oh, this poor <laughs> movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> It yeah. looks like it was made for $12, but poor Vincent oh. Minnelli is like trying to throw all of his talent uh. at it. It, it. It's like the, it's the audiovisual equivalent of like mm. an old woman making up in front of her mirror, trying to look really young. Mm. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. uh, it's got a baby J if like baby Jane could be channeled into directing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't explain it. It's a, a total disaster. And I feel so bad for, I mean, who doesn't love Vincent Minnelli, Liza Minnelli and Ingrid Bergman? Like those I are know, wonderful people. Sounds like it should all be, yeah, that should all come together. God, terrible. It, it's top so talent. Bad. Just disasters she does two in a row my god she looks so beautiful but the tone is so weird it's like a dark fairy tale and like maybe Mm -hmm. if you had lots of money to illustrate that it would somehow work out but they did not have lots of money and it looks it looks like really cheap it looks like a like a one of those Shelley Duvall's like (laughs) (laughs) fairy tale Uh, things from the 80s uh I don't know it's Uh, I can't even it's like disturbing and you shouldn't see it (laughs) I'm it's not going bad. to. Okay. <laughs> You've convinced me never to see it. Okay. But, you know, her next film is, is it's 1977. It's New York, New York. It's directed by Martin Scorsese. And it, at least it's it's certainly memorable. And it has some wonderful scenes in it. She looks wonderful in it. She is wonderful in it. I mean, I haven't seen it in many, many years. Yeah. But I still remember Scorpio. her. Yes, it did. It's very It's very dark and weird and disturbing. And you feel like it's somehow all going wrong. <laughs> she seems wonderful in it. And she has just scenes of great charm, but she's she's somehow up against it with Robert De Niro. You're like, Robert De Niro is so glowering and glum and 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 awful that you kind of hate it. I yeah. did anyway. The oh, whole yeah. time, you're just like, oh, this needs to end. And then it just doesn't end. And it goes on in this punitive, sadistic way for what seems like three, <laughs> three and a half hours. I'm sure it isn't that long. No, but it's but close. That fucker, it's like definitely well over two hours, like two and a half. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's, you know, it's, it's putting, it's putting her back into her mother's era. It's 1940. She's a big band singer. He's clearly, what's cl- he's a clarinetist and band leader. Clearly it's based on um, the very troubled Artie Shaw. Um, you know, so and yeah, he just goes along being glum and impossible, and it's a kind of it's got a kind of a Star Is Born thing again, another throwback to her mother. Yeah, the great version of Star Is Born, where her star is rising as his is falling, basically, and that supposedly is what tears them apart. But you're like, but they they were apart always. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's no together feeling with De Niro and Minnelli. They're constantly bickering. Um, So Scorsese let them, like he often does, uh, let them ad lib and improvise. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the dialogue is improvised. And they're both Mm -hmm. great. I mean, you know, they're up to the challenge. Um, Oh, man. So Scorsese and Liza were having an affair during the Mm -hmm. making of this film. And I've always thought it's because Scorsese's such a film buff. That's an awful thing to say. (laughs) But it does seem like, doesn't it? Yeah. He seemed to go after the daughters of, so Isabella Rosa. Lady, Liza Minnelli, and you know, this obsessed, and then this movie on top of it, this kind of obsessing in an adjacent way over that era in ways that are clearly going to evoke people of that era. So I don't know. Oh, yeah. It seemed very film buffy, but in a really creepy, dark way that you wouldn't think. It's fucked up. Like, okay, so Liza's hair at, on in New York, New York is done mm-hmm. by, I don't know if you say his name, Sidney Guileroff or Sidney Guileroff, but it's Judy Garland's uh, MGM hairstylist. Yes. Oh, I didn't realize <laughs> that. Oh, God. Yes. Uh, and then yeah. there's like, a, there is a scene, a, a wonderful scene. There are like two very memorable songs um, from this movie. The first is But the World Goes Round, mm-hmm. which is really, I think it's my favorite Liza Minnelli song. Um, it's mm-hmm. really just like one of those tour de force, you know, builds, um, um, torch songs. Mm-hmm. And then, um, of course, New York, New York, which everyone associates mm-hmm. with Frank Sinatra. You probably thought New York, New York was written in like the 40s. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was written for this film in 1977. Mm-hmm. And it, it's Liza's song. She, you know, mm-hmm. she premiered it and it became very associated with her. But then Sinatra recorded it, too. And we've heard it at, you know, the ballpark ever since. But right. um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but in there's um, a, a beautiful scene where she is uh, singing, but the world goes round and her character, like her mother um, is, you know, uh, 
like a recording star and she's dressed in the exact same outfit that Judy wore on the cover of Life magazine in 1944. It's the same hairstyle. It's the same blouse. It's the same skirt. And that's creepy. Uh, creepy. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad I didn't know these details when I saw it. Yeah, it's really weird, but it's a magical sequence because it does Mm. that thing that happens in um, diva numbers. So I argue, this is my idea. Don't Mm -hmm. steal it, world. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like her, this is probably like her most tour de force vocal moment. Mm -hmm. And she's in this... um, booth recording booth and it's you know normally lit you can see the outside of her body but as Mm -hmm. the song goes on um this is not motivated diegetically but the lighting uh, um goes dark on her body and only her head exists and then she becomes Mm. this like floating singing head in all this darkness it's very Mm. much like my man and funny girl or Mm. even the man that got away or levy on rose this is this like diva moment where their bodies Mm. disappear and it's Mm -hmm. um it's amazing and like you know and uh, wonderful and arty and and very cool Mm. um and then at the end, she's also done up like her mother in this like long red shirt and these, you know, little cigarette black pants. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, I remember now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she sings mm-hmm. New York, New York. Uh, it's a number mm-hmm. that closes the film. And her, her hair is styled exactly like her mother <laughs> from mm-hmm. the early 60s. So it's. Mm-hmm. Whew, it's fucked. And but during this time, <laughs> like 1977, in my mind, like 77 to like 79 are like the apex of Liza's career. Mm-hmm. Like she is on the top of the world. So she's at this point, she's married to husband number two, Jack Haley Jr., who's the Tin Man's son, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, she's fucking Scorsese <laughs> while she's making New York, New York. And um, she she's also on Broadway doing The Act, which is a Candor and Ebb show. It's a phenomenal score. It never got made into a film. And it, mm-hmm. to my mind, it's never been revived. Mm-hmm. Um, a fucking fantastic Ooh. score. It's about a performer. So, yeah, in this 1977 to 79 moment, yeah, she was doing the act on Broadway uh, and she won a Tony for that. And this is also when she is she's known Halston since I believe the late 60s or early 70s. But the late 70s is when she's out on the town every night at Studio 54 Mm. with Halston. Studio 54 is where she meets Barishnikov. So she's having an an affair with Barishnikov on top of the Mm. affair with Scorsese. (laughs) (laughs) There's this crazy moment where... um, Scorsese confronts her on the sidewalk in New York. Liza's out walking with her her husband, Jack Haley Jr. Oh, and Scorsese Lord. confronts her about having an affair with Barishnikov. <laughs> And yeah, just all the famous boyfriends all at once. Um, yeah, so it's it's the height of the coke addiction, but also the height of her artistic like prowess. Like she is uh, just amazing and doing incredible work. Her voice sounds really strong at this point, and like she can do fucking anything. Um, so yeah, yeah. But New York, yeah. New York. It's like I think. Uh, I was, I was okay. I'm having a little bit of a Lorraine Bracco obsession, which we'll have have to talk about in another podcast. <laughs> but um, it reminded me. I was watching Lorraine Bracco on, of course, like the Joy Behar show or whatever, because that's where you would find Lorraine Bracco. Um, <laughs> but there's, they were talking about Liza's like yard sale and it mm. reminded me I was like oh yeah in so many ways Liza Minnelli is like the head goomba you know like every <laughs> every like Italian person is like oh Liza Minnelli you know and you forget <laughs> right. this because I don't know I don't even I think of Liza's particularly Italian on the top mm. of my head you know but mm. really like she's a source of like huge I think if you you know, if you're from a sort of cultural group that's both somehow white-ish, you know, mm. white enough, and um, missed the counterculture, <laughs> mm. then you're going to be really into Liza, you know? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> there's like, I don't know. And I remember going to Rome for the first time and some random ass person, some Italian man talking to me, I was like, I don't know, I sat down on a stone or some shit. And he was like, oh, I love America. I love American jazz. You know, Liza Minnelli. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we we don't Not call even that Frank jazz. Sinatra. <laughs> the first thing was Liza Minnelli. I was like, wow, wow. okay, like a lot of Goomba pride. Um, so that's exciting. Um, but I think that I think that you know the picture with Scorsese, you know, hanging out mm. with Marty De Niro, and obviously just being the queen of Broadway for you know mm. at least like two or three decades um, kind of mm. cemented that like she's a, a very a particular kind of like New York glamour, you know? 
Right, right. Which, you know, so, you know, after this, like the films are getting fewer and fewer and farther and farther between because, you know, her, her, her fame is concentrated in these other areas. Right. You know, so, and the, and the only like big splash one still to come is Arthur, which it's weird to watch now to, to, to realize what a big hit it was. I know. Really big hit. People have terrible taste. Oh my God, you watch it now and you're like, this thing's appalling. Yeah. I, <laughs> how could how could Dudley Moore ever have been considered charming? He's charmless. Oh, I th- oh. it's, it's the movie of hers that's made the most money at the box office. Fucking yes. Arthur. Yes. It was just a huge <laughs> trip. I, I, I had no memory of it being this terrible. I, I just remember <laughs> seeing it. It was a big hit. And that's just how culture brainwashes you. Look out. Yeah. You're watching something right now that actually sucks and you don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, she, she's doing her very, very best. It's a very Liza role. She's well cast, you know. She, she doesn't have so much the troubled, but she's got all the kind of manic, eccentric, you know, funny. She has some of the best lines. She has some of the best moments. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's an awful movie. And now it's so much of, of the 80, early 80s, especially movies are charmless that, you know, we, that we're big hits. And this is definitely one, so. Yeah, Just a warning if you're going to try to revisit Arthur. Oh it blows. Don't do it. Uh, yeah, Dudley Moore is like a spoiled, rich, uh, not young man. And John Gilgood's yeah. his butler and his whatever. Butler. That shenanigans but ensue. Pairs and shenanigans ensue. Yeah. And, you know, his, you know, the woman he falls in love with is this this waitress would be actress. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all <laughs> enough said, I guess. Yeah. But again, it did make this huge splash. She did do a sequel. And, and then, you know, there's a couple of little things. Rent-A-Cop 87 with okay. Bruce Reynolds. I have not seen that. Secretly so, love uh, Rent-A-Cop. I mean, it's <laughs> horrendous. But if you're going to uh, like, okay, most of Liza's films are horrendous without being fun. But this is fun and horrendous. Mm, like, I mean, yeah, she's supposed <laughs> to play a hooker. And she has like these outrageous, sparkly, like red Halston jackets. Um, <laughs> she's not remotely hookerish, but it's. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's fun. It's it's really okay. bad, really bad, but like <laughs> in a in an ostentatious and wonderful way. <laughs> okay, good. Good yeah. to know. Good. Because yeah. then after that, it's stepping out, and Girl. that's it, right? Is there? That's it. I think that's it for she the does, the feature film work. Yeah, for feature film work, and you know, she well, does. You know, she makes cameos. She does, she does. Yes, and she does a beloved role in Arrested Development in the early two thousands as the other Lucille. And, <laughs> Lucille you know, too. Lucille too. All right, that's right, Lucille. Um, you know, but but again, her 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 star life is all sorts of other places, but not really in films. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. And she she performed up until really like 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen her a bunch of times. Um, I'm like a hardcore fan, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> hardcore, really hardcore. Um, um, I think of the moments that. Uh, I I I don't I don't even know where to begin with her like magic on stage. She is mm. even when she has nothing, like no voice whatsoever, she somehow can pull it out. And I mean, you're you're just going to be everyone's going to be on their feet like weeping and begging for an encore. So she has some real like there's something deep in her guts that is like bound and determined to move you and god damn it she's gonna do it and mm. i you know most of the times i saw her i it was like those are my best memories in the, in a theater like she's the most transformative exciting person i i saw her at the beacon in new york in god i don't know 2002 or something when mm-hmm. she was oh god the david guest thing I, I guess we have to talk about that i guess we do yeah fuck that's okay. husband number four right yeah Mark Gir- Giro is a he's an Sculptor. artist right? yeah Sculptor. that lasts the longest 79 to 92 yeah but you and know get- yeah yeah whatever, whatever. <laughs> That's and then David Guest lasts the shortest I guess the whole thing is what 2002 to 2007 I think something like that but it, what a train wreck I mean it's a real shit. tabloid scandal train wreck just awful. He, oh, I don't even know. I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to like shit talk about her. I think I, I know um, just from people who know her that she uh, did not want to marry him. And she even said mm-hmm. to her close friends, like, do not let me <laughs> marry this mm-hmm. person. But he, you know, he promised her the moon. I think she felt totally lost in her career. And mm-hmm. he, he's, is excellent at publicity, you know, and it happens mm-hmm. to so many so many divas yeah. <laughs> or like some random right. ass impresario, you know, promises them a comeback. And so they marry right. them and, oh, right, right. 
Um, right. And Elizabeth Taylor I mean, showed think, up for the wedding. <laughs> oh, what about the wedding? Tell that. Uh, well, do you all remember that? I mean, the, so the David Guest, Liza Minnelli wedding are like yeah. the source of like the best tabloid photos of all time. Because Michael, <laughs> oh, Michael Jackson was the, the uh, um, best man. Elizabeth oh Taylor was the maid of honor. And this oh, is my God. favorite part. She <laughs> forgot her <laughs> shoes. So she showed up at the wedding in slippers and they had to delay the whole thing because someone had to go back for Liz and get her shoes Shoes. from the <laughs> hotel. This is like fully cray, like old Elizabeth yeah. Taylor time. So yeah. it was just like, it looks like a total freak show of like waxworks. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. And you know, yeah, yeah. I I probably already mentioned this, but Dolores and I, when I was teaching and and Dolores was my TA, uh, we, it was Halloween and we we were teaching a startup, startup class. Right. And yes, (laughs) I went, I went as late life caftan wearing Elizabeth Taylor (laughs) went as Liza Minnelli. And we told everyone we were just out of the Betty Ford clinic and you know, most of the students had no idea who we were, but we didn't care because it was hilarious. So yes, it's it's nice to bring in Elizabeth Taylor as not only just one of the many, many famous friends, uh, but as, you know, you can see some comparable prey happening in the end of their lives. Just these kind of, you know, wild <laughs> public events, wild both friends, apparently with Michael Jackson, you know, unraveling, marrying somebody else. You know, there's just a lot of trips to Betty Ford, uh, health woes, horrifying health woes. Eliza doesn't have as many. Nobody has as many, I think, as Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, but you know, Eliza Minnelli has that. What is it called? Oh, Oh, encephalitis. She almost died of encephalitis in like 2001 or something. Yeah, yeah. I thought she was never gonna speak again. Yes, something dire, totally dire. Yeah. Oh, she fought. Yeah. Yeah, so many awful things. Yeah, so the David Guest thing came um, a couple years after the encephalitis, and that's when she got really mm. fat. But she lost the weight, you know, with the David Guest marriage, and she performed at the Beacon Theater in New York and gave mm-hmm. some of like the best concerts I've ever seen in my entire life. Like it was, it was so fucking exciting. I mean, obviously you right. got to be a musical theater nerd, you know. But mm. everyone who was anyone was there. I saw Ben Vereen that night, Elaine Stritch. Mm-hmm. It was rumored that Michael mm. Jackson was in the audience, mm-hmm. and all of these. Famous people. I my mother got us really close tickets. Like I, for like, I cried when I received them as a present. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, mommy. Um, so we did. Like I feel like it's such a mother daughter thing to go see Liza Minnelli. But anyway, um, I don't know why. Um, but you listeners out there who know, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, it, like at the end of the show, people were all on their feet. There were people weeping. They were mm. pressed against the stage. It. I think the New Yorker called it, or no, I'm sorry, the New York Times wrote about it as mm-hmm. a disturbingly orgiastic pagan right between star and fan. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, right. She's, I don't know. Like uh, She has this amazing capacity to communicate, even mm. with like no raw materials left. <laughs> like, right, right. And of course, it's just the thrill of you know, the, the, which we recognize from her mother's life as well, you know, the, the just devastating, awful things happening. And then the comeback, the triumphal comeback where she can still bring it out and she bring it out again this time. Can she do it this time? Yep. And how exciting it is when she does again. Um, yeah. So it does seem like she's really, she really is channeling that certain kind of diva. So I, I guess it's a kind of ready-made star persona that <laughs> she edges her way toward in a way. Um, is there, but is there anything specific about later life, Liza Minnelli? She seems very fragile. She is. She's not, she's not well. Um, yeah. And she seemed that way for, for quite a while. Yeah. For all the boisterous laugh and she'll be the one to laugh first. There's this tremendous level of vulnerability about all that's happened to her. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And especially given, you know, she'd always say, people will say, oh, you're Judy, Judy Garland's daughter. So if you succeed, of course. And if you fail, of course, yeah. so she, she would say occasionally kind of things like that about how this is a kind of bitter legacy, even though it's a great legacy in certain ways, just in dealing with people's expectations. 
Oh, absolutely. I can't even imagine what it's like to be her. And it certainly yeah. like her vulnerability is it's central to her star image. It's central to the way the fans feel, you know, to, to be mm-hmm. a Liza Minnelli fan is to like care for Liza and you're there mm-hmm. to like prop her up and say, darling, you're wonderful. You know, even when she's <laughs> failing and that's, it's a very particular kind of fan relationship. You know, that's not mm-hmm. how it is. If you're a Clint Eastwood fan or a, <laughs> even a Barbara Streisand fan, you know, it's not the same thing. It's a very, uh-huh. It's it is similar to how people feel about Judy Garland too, though you know, mm. because they're putting it's very sadomasochistic. You know, you mm-hmm. it, as a fan, it flatters you that the star needs you, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, it's this like weird feedback loop. Like you need them to hurt so you can save them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm not saying it's not fucked up. It's very fucked no. up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I'm so glad you said that because I didn't want to be the one. Oh, to please speculate. Please. <laughs> oh no, this yeah. yeah, these aren't repressed like uh, dynamics. They're on the surface, and we're all just <laughs> swimming in them. But um, no. the last mm-hmm. time I ever saw her live, and I don't think she can perform at this level anymore, was 2014 mm-hmm. at the San Francisco Symphony, and she it was utterly heartrending. She could not stand, so she did the whole mm-hmm. show in this director chair. She had no voice. But she attempted New York, New York and Cabaret. And at least once in each of those songs, she stopped midway and she said, you deserve better. And she started it the fuck again. And if you could, I mean, like, think of those songs. They are so hard. They are huge. Belt out songs. Yeah. Uh. And she is Liza Minnelli and she's not known for like a subtle delivery, you know, so she's got to pull these notes out of, I don't know where, out of another dimension. Uh. She did somehow make it through, but it was like watching like something whip itself to death you know it was just like it was so fucking harrowing and heartbreaking I don't think I've ever saw seen a more heartbreaking sight but but uh she always or has for the last several years at the end of her show she sits on the edge of the stage and with no accompaniment she sings I'll be seeing you you know in all the old familiar places and Uh, she, Liza has perfect pitch, by the way. She's an excellent musician. And she just delivered this song like straight, straight to everyone's heart. Like it was so, mm-hmm. and again, I don't know where the voice came from. She didn't have the voice through the whole show. Somehow mm-hmm. she got it together. And this last number number was like one of the most memorable things I have ever experienced, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the whole audience just left this, uh, left Symphony Hall like, what did we just, you know, th- everyone left on a high note somehow, even though it was mm-hmm. a, total fucking train wreck like blood on the floor disaster i don't know she sent us out into the night with like a feeling like oh yes that was magical you know like how the fuck god damn it liza they don't make them like her oh yeah yeah. no you can't even there's no comparison who could you even possibly compare her to there's literally you can't even reach for anything no there's nothing like that no <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, yeah. Streisand's her contemporary, and no, you know, they sing a lot of yeah. the same type of stuff, but it's a totally different star persona. Barbara mm-hmm. is totally self-contained. You don't mm-hmm. need to tell Barbara that you know that she's fabulous and you love her. Yes, you know, prop her up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. you're just lucky enough that she let you in on her own personal like <laughs> show. You know, yeah, right, right. But Liza yeah. needs you, and that's part of the the fucked up stew. The wonderful right. be sequined wonder- <laughs> <laughs> that is Liza Marsha. Yeah. Well, that is a beautiful conclusion. We're not going to do any better than that. All right. <laughs> do you? Unless you have anything, uh, anything left in that tank, like Liza uh, Minnelli, I you don't. throw it out there now. <laughs> I got nothing. It's all I sweat it all out on the stage. <laughs> that was good. Okay. <laughs> all right. So that is it. That is it for not only. Liza Minnelli pizzazz with four Z's, but <laughs> for the great old broad series, because not because we couldn't go on and on, of course, but because we're going to try and go t- contemporary at least for a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks, dear listeners. And of course, amazing thanks to our subscribers who keep us in Halston pantsuits. If you're not a subscriber yet, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all the film con- content instead of just the half you get anyway. And you can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please join us in a couple of weeks, two weeks, for our discussion of the new Todd Haynes documentary, The Velvet Underground, which gives us a good excuse to talk about this remarkable director. So, back at you in two weeks. Bye! Bye. <laughs>